we're going to continue in the thought that we started with last week. We started with verse number 10 and kind of got halfway through verse number 11. We're going to try to finish the verse and the thought about blessing God. And uh, today is what we're going to do is we're going to kind of look at God's, God's ownership, his ownership. Um, if we go back to verse number 10, as we started with last week, First uh, Chronicles 29, 10, read along silently while I read the passage. Wherefore, David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our father forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all, and in thine hand is power and might. And in thy hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise Thy glorious name. Thank you, Lord, for what a wonderful passage of Scripture that shared David's heart in his prayer to you and his worship before you. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to, to uh, uh, snag that spirit. Lord, I, I pray that you help us to get it. Help us to understand who we approach when we're in your presence. Lord, I pray that, that this morning you would indeed receive our blessing you, our worship of you. Lord, I pray that you would just... Uh, Help us in our attitude as we uh, come before you here this morning. We thank you for being such a wonderful God and loving us like you do, caring for us as you do. Lord, I pray that you just bless, bless, and all that's said and done here today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we started with this passage and with an understanding of what it means to bless God. Sometimes God blesses us with things and with blessings, with good things or, or honor or uh, material things sometimes, and we can be blessed by others. But when David says he's blessing God, <clears throat> it's a, a little bit of a different situation. That word bless, with close ties to worship, bless, the word bless indicates a bowing low or kneeling before one who is deemed greater in essence, in worth, in person. I mentioned this book last week, uh, Dr. Dave Hardy's book, Worship and the Fear of God. If uh, you don't have this, get a copy of it. We will have it available in the uh, guest services. And if you don't have uh, one there right now, then we'll order those. I think they're about 10 bucks a piece. Excellent, excellent book about worship. Uh, never really have heard um, that kind of a presentation, but it's something that we miss, I think, in what we call our worship services, which, which Sunday morning we would call this the worship service. And there's so many things that we're um, uh, going through here and looking at what worship really means. In that spot-on book, he gives a definition of this bowing low, this adoration, this evaluation of the Lord as he defines worship as this. And I'll quote, The voluntary humbling of one person physically and spiritually in order to exalt another. So it's one person bowing before another so that uh, the, the one that they're bowing before, will, there will be an, an, uh, an obvious contrast of exalted and, and subordinate. 
Let me read that again. The voluntary humbling of one person, physically and spiritually, in order to, in order to exalt another. It always involves humility and the, the per perspective of contrast, the lowly and the uh, eternal, uh, the finite and the uh, almighty. Um, remember what we affirmed about what God wants. We said that he is after, and this is what he tells us, what he seeks from his creation. In John 4, 23, Jesus said this, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father, now notice this is what Jesus is saying here, the Father seeketh such to worship him. He's looking for those to actually give him what he is desiring, and that is worship. He seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. But notice that this is God's desire. It's what's right. It is what's just. It is what is proper, what is fitting, but it's also something that God is after. He seeks those to worship him. Now, since God desires his people to worship him, as he says, seeks such to worship him, we certainly don't want to deprive our creator of his desire. Not here, this church. We want to give him that. We want to, literally, we want to worship him, to bow down before him, to kneel before him. At the close of the service, I'll encourage us to bow before him, either turning and kneeling in your seat or here at the front with me, as we will have that, take that opportunity to worship God. We can pattern ourselves after the congregation of David's day of worshiping him in spirit and in truth. Last week, we took up most of our time in this passage with, with David's identification of the God that he was praying to and bowing before. He starts off in verse number 10 and goes to verse number 11. Uh, worship is acknowledging the eternal one, the one whom we are in the presence of. In verse number 10, David recognized God to be, number one, eternal, we said. Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. He identifies this God that he's before as eternal. And that is in contrast to us who are finite. We have been created. God is great. Verse number 11, he goes on to say, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness. God is great. He is powerful. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power. He is glorified. And talks about his glory. Verse number 11, it goes on to talk about his victory, or God is victorious. The greatness and the power and the glory and the victory. That belongs unto our God. We ended up with the majestic. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Meaning uh, the grandeur, the, the awesome uh, uh, inspiration or presence of God. His honor, his majesty. No one more veneered, no one more worthy, nobody greater than God, fitting to bow before him, to bless or to worship this God. If we're inspired by creation's majesty, then the creator is far greater in majesty and magnitude than even his creation. Awesome. God is majestic. Now, we didn't get to this last uh, in verse number 11 uh, last week, but we'll continue right here. It, it talks about this. This is the God who is exalted. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth 
is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. He's the creator. He is the owner. He's the ultimately wealthy being. There is no greater. There is no higher. There is no more wealthy or richer than God. He owns everything. Everything. He rules everything. That's what the text says. And it's an identification of who this God is. He rules everything. He is above everything and everyone. He is the highest of the high. He is the king of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. He is the, the top. It is in this last truth that we'll, we'll camp here this morning. I, I would like to bring this out of this God that we serve and that we worship and that we understand, that we know. He is owner. He owns all things. That was, that's what verse 11 says. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom. And it goes on. So many things fall into place when ownership is settled. We can certainly use or benefit by or take advantage of things that are not ours and we don't own them. But ownership carries the connotation of ruler, director. He determines all things because he is the owner. He's the determinator. He's the one who has the right to call the shots. This is the God that we serve. I remember when we were purchasing this property, and it was just trees before uh, this building was here, and then the next building in the parking lot. And in this area, there were, there were trees that were, that were, they were already harvested as far as the, the big trees. And somebody came by years and years prior to the time we owned it and took all the, the, uh, the lumber that was valuable. But there were some scraggly trees and there were this and that. But there, there were a, a few still uh, uh, beautiful big trees. And, and there was a tree probably, I don't know, was, uh, right about here someplace, as, uh, maybe where the choir is, there's the back of the, the auditorium, where there was a, a white pine. Oh, my, it must have been about 100 feet high. It was maybe 90 or 100 feet. Beautiful tree. It was awesome. It was majestic. Um, it looked like it had some kind of a disease on the, on the side of it, on the bark. But uh, outside of that, it was just this huge, it must have been there for years and years and years and years. Beautiful tree. And when we purchased the property and, and we were, made our intentions known to our neighbors, uh, one of our neighbors came to me and, and said, now, Rich, you can't be, you can't be uh, uh, clearing this land and, and uh, taking these trees out. And he pointed to that particular tree, that white pine. And he said, look at that thing. That's been here 100 years or so. Who knows? He says, that, that thing's just so majestic, and you can't, you can't take that down. And I said, well, we, we, we bought the property so that we could put a, a building here so that we can honor the Lord and worship him, worship before him. That's what he re requires. You know, he seeks such to worship him. And, and that was our intention. And he says, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. And I said, well, I'll tell you how that you could have this to where we don't take this tree down or take, you know, clear this area and put a, put a building here is if you buy the property. 
go ahead. If you buy the property, and you, then you're the owner, and you can do whatever you want to with it. You know? But we bought the property. <laughs> and we bought it, and so now we own it, and we own it because, and we have designs on it. This is our property. So since it's our property, it doesn't matter what you want, and I understand, and you know, that's, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be nice, getting in with the neighbors and everything else, and that, there's no way. I mean, I'm trying to, trying to uh, go a place where they don't want us to go, and we want to go, and so, uh, I was, I was in a, in a, a mess there. I was trying to, trying to, uh, appease the neighborhood but then also say listen it's going to be great once there's a building and by the way it is great now and it's beautiful we've, we've beautified the, the the area and we keep it up very nice and it's actually a, a blessing to the neighborhood it's actually it's not a, a detraction but it's actually a help to uh, uh costs of homes and whatever around the area so it, it's been a, a good thing but here i am i'm, I'm going man I, what do i do here because uh, i don't want to i don't want to disappoint and i don't want to so here I am in, in right about that time, and we had, <laughs> we had here a, an ice storm that night. Um, we don't ever have ice storms here, you know, because it hardly gets that cold around in this area, you know, this side of the mountains. You know, uh, average uh, winter temperature in the winter here is 38, 36 degrees. And, but, that, but we had a cold spell, and there was, I don't know, a week or so where it was, you know, below freezing, and it rained the, the night before, and there was ice. And, I mean, there was ice covered everything. Just little branches had, had big, you know, they were, they were uh, uh, sheathed in, in ice, it was, it, ice crystals. It looked really weird, you know, it looked beautiful. It really did, but it was, it, it was an ice storm. And I was, I lived in this, uh, this home here on the property, that's where me and my family lived, and I was there uh, that next morning, and the sun was out, and whatever, and, and uh, I was just playing with my kids, or so, and I hear this, <laughs> what happened? You know, this, did a, 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 a tanker fly into the property, and you know, what, what's going on? I put my boots on, went outside, and that white pine, that 100-foot white pine, was snapped off and laying on the ground that way. <laughs> and by the, time when I w by the time I got there, the neighbor, that the same neighbor that I had the conversation with, he came out there too, and, and he's there, and I'm looking at it, and he's looking at it, and I said, I didn't do that, you know. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. <laughs> it just happened, you know. It is <laughs> so I didn't have to worry about, you know, taking down the tree, you know, God did. <laughs> But what, what I was using that example for is to say, um, we purchased the property, so it was our property, we could do what we want with it. And I know today in, in the, uh, the world in which we live, there's infringements upon freedoms and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, the basic principle is you own it, you do what you want with it. If you're the owner, then you call the shots. Folks, God owns you. He owns me. He owns everything. And if it's God that is the owner, God can do whatever he wants to with his creation. And he does. Because he is the owner. He can do with his property whatever he wants to. Now, before we go on too far with an analogy about us owning things, we, folks, people, 
men, human beings, don't really own anything. That's the truth that we've come to face with this morning in the two verses of our text. God is the owner. You say, preacher, owner of what? He's the owner of everything. That's what it says. First Chronicles 29, 11. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness of the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all. Notice that word, all. Everything. It's, it encompasses everything. All that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand is to make great and to give strength unto all. He says, God, you own everything. You are the owner. You're the creator, and you are the owner. We think because he enables us to manage things, he allows us to, that we own them. No, we don't own anything. We manage them. Your life that you have right now that you're in charge of, actually you're the foreman. You're the, uh, the sub-boss. You're the, the uh, uh, manager. Um, we think that the things that we have are ours. No, it's not ours. We don't own anything. All we have, we have under our management just for a short time. Proverbs 27, verse 24 says, For riches are not forever. And doth the crown endure to every generation. Even, even wealth. It's yours for time until you lose it. Or until, you know, something happens where the, it turns uh, bad and, and then you don't have it anymore. Riches are not forever. We are merely stewards, folks. We are merely foremen. We're custodians. We are overseers. Agents for him. He owns it all. God owns everything. There's nothing that we have as a gift from God that you're not going to return to the Lord. You're going to turn in the keys. You're going to punch out someday, and it all goes back to God. We own nothing. God is the owner. He owns all things. Look at the man that Jesus used to get us to understand this concept in Luke chapter 12. I told it the story of a man that thought he owned things, like we do, like like people do. Luke 12, 15, And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for of man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room to bestow my fruits. And by the way, notice how many times this guy says, Me, mine, I, I, me. Uh, he, he uses my way too much because he thinks he owns these things. So he says, hey, I've got a bumper crop. I've got a lot of fruit, big harvest. What am I going to do with all to, how to bestow my fruits? Verse 18. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Easy street. How about that? I finally got to the place where I can enjoy things and take the, the, the fruits of those things that I've hard-earned and they're mine, they're mine. Look at what I have, look at what I have. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. 
Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. See, folks, nothing you have is yours forever. It gets returned to the owner. The owner gets to determine the use of his things. Did you know that? He gets to define the purpose of his kingdom. You see, the owner gets to decide what is right or wrong in his universe. He calls the shots. See, this rogue system that we live in, in the, the world system, that there's uh, what we have to understand, what we've got to recognize is there's a rebellion against the creator. In this rogue system of rebellion against that creator, against the owner, we're continually finding conflict with his design and his purpose. Psalm 100 verse 3 says, Know ye that the Lord, he is God, it is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. We didn't make ourselves. We didn't come about by uh, chance mutation. We didn't just evolve here and come to the place to where, uh, okay, this race just came about. We made ourselves. No, we don't. We have not made ourselves. We're here not because uh, of, of uh, uh, some naturalistic uh, events that have taken place and, and over eons of time, and that's why we're here. No, no. He has, he has, as he says, it is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. Naturalistic science, which tries to pawn off the lie that this universe has no owner, has no creator, it falls down in basic designer logic. Designer demands, uh, 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 de design demands a designer. If there is design, then that means there was somebody that designed it. Uh, complex DNA code shouts the existence of a writer of that code. Uh, design demands a designer. The evidence of his design is everywhere, but it's foolishly denied in attempt to be freed from the owner and his authority and his rule. No, no, God has made us. We didn't come about just by chance or by nothing. We didn't make ourselves. We've been placed here. God created us, brought us into existence, and he owns everything. The fact is that we are part of his creation. He is the owner, and we are accountable to him. Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes that in death, Ecclesiastes 12, 7, then shall the dust return unto the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return to God who gave it. God's going to call back his creation. He made us, he, he gave us our existence, our consciousness, and there comes a time where this life is over and God recalls. Go down to thir verse 13, he says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Folks, that means you are accountable to this, your creator. I'm accountable to the God who made me. I'm going to face him someday, and since he is owner, and since he is the creator, he has perfect right to, to bring me into account to him and what he's done, his, his works in my life. 
We are accountable to him. He not only is the creator and owner, he holds and is the authority. He reigns over all. That's what our text says. It's his kingdom, his power. See, when we understand his ownership and his authority, then issues are settled. They're just settled. We don't have to worry about it. The problem that this world has today is they don't get it. They don't get the, the simple uh, conclusion that God is the creator. And God owns all things. He is the owner. He's over. He's, he's, he reigns over his creation. And if we would just get that, it would settle the issues that seem to plague us nowadays because people are in a, in a rebellious state denying the fact that God is the owner. How about the stands of this church? Folks, this church is what it is because God gives us a blueprint and says, run my business this way. We don't decide. It's not us to decide. It's not us to say, well, you know what? You know, let's just do this. Or let's, you know, nowadays in public uh, uh, opinion, we, we don't want to do this or we don't want to. So let's just identify. Let's just determine how we will play things out. Folks, we don't do that. There, there are churches today that are set on some kind of a, 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 a situation to where they say, you go into a neighborhood with a clipboard and you ask them questions. What kind of music do you listen to? Check, check, check. Uh, how do you uh, dress? Uh, what do you think is important? What do you think is not important? What, whatever that community says and wants, then you design a church, a designer church, for that community. Hogwash. That's, that's good for... Uh, some, you know, if you, you know, popular capital, capitalism, if you want to sell something. But it's not, that's not what we do here, folks. That's not what a New Testament church is. A, a church, the church that Jesus started is his church. He gives us the, the guidelines, the blueprints, the recommendations, the, 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 the uh, parameters. He tells us right here. We don't make those calls. We don't decide what we want to do. We're just following what he has given. As he told the church in Revelation 3.11, Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast that which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. He's saying that to a church. Take these things that I've given you and hang on to them. Hold fast. Don't lose him. If, if we understand this is his church, folks, then I don't have an opinion there. You know, it's his opinion. It's whatever he wants. Um, how about the definition of marriage? Oh, boy. We're in, a, we're in an upside-down society, aren't we? Where they, they don't even know what marriage is. And, and you know what, what was warned years and years ago? That if you don't get the definition of marriage right, you're, gonna, you're, you're a boat without an anchor. You're just going to drift upon uh, you know, uh, the, the ideas of, of the world. And where are you going to end up? Who knows? At first it's, you know, well, you know, uh, uh, the homosexuality, lesbianism, and, and so it's just two loving people. Well, wait a minute. What does God say about marriage? Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. That's what the Bible says. When Jesus quoted this, he quoted this, the, the, they twain, two, shall be one flesh. Two people, one person in marriage. Not three people, not five people, not six people. You know, now the definition of marriage is such to where, and you know what I'm talking about. That there, there's uh, popular uh, uh, movies and, and uh, um, 
entertainment that has to do with, hey, marriage is just, it's open. It's whatever you want it to be. That's not what the creator, the one who designed us, the one who designed you and I said about it. He said, no, there's two people that come together and they're married and that's one flesh. That's what the Bible says, the definition of marriage. Folks, if we just leave it alone and say, God is the owner. He's the one that has the right to call marriage whatever it is that he calls it. How about, you know, Romans chapter 1. God identifies homosexuality, lesbianism, lesbianism as unclean and dishonoring to our bodies and God and vile and unnatural, unseemly, inconvenient, reprobate. Those are the words that God uses. Romans chapter 1, verse 24, that's what God says about it. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Verse 26, he says, For this cause God gave them up to vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. He goes on, he says, Men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly. Hey, folks, that's not what I'm saying. This is what God says. You've got to understand, God owns us. He's the one that created everything. Not most things. And you know what? If he has a design for it, if he says this is the definition, if he says this, is, this creation is accountable to me, then he's the owner. He's the creator, the owner. He reigns and rules, and it's okay. That's because he owns all things. Now, wait just a minute, preacher. You don't have the right to judge. You're right. You're absolutely right. I don't. God does. You know why? Because he's the owner. Isn't that what the, the Bible says? He, he owns all things. This is his universe. This is his design. This is his kingdom. How about sexual pur purity? You know, when the Bible talks about immodesty or sex outside of marriage or pornography, you know, the Bible is very, very clear. God's word, uh, Hebrews 13, verse 4, marriage is honorable and all in the bed, undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. So it says inside marriage, this is what his design is for marriage. And by the way, God says, good, it's good, it's wonderful, it's very good. But outside of that, it's not good. It's sin. That's wrong. That's wicked. Sex outside of marriage or before marriage is wrong, and it's wicked. That's what the Bible says. It's very, very clear about that. What about pornography? Well, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 28, I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery already with her in his heart. So what does that mean? See, folks, you might have a different idea about the designs for creation or for things, but God's the owner. And since he owns, how about, how about your self-will? You see, we can go ahead and, and criticize others and whatever outside the walls of this church, but what about us? What about what we're doing? What are you doing? Are you following God? Do you have your own will? If I, if I were to ask some young people, so what are your plans? Okay, well, my plans are 
finish high school, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I, 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 I. Oh, is that what God wants? What does God want? How about, how about asking him? You know why? Because he created you. He created me. The Bible says, Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Folks, it's reasonable to offer God our lives, to have him use our lives, our resources, our talents. Why? Because he owns them. It's whatever God says, whatever he wants. Folks, he owns all things. Okay, so in our text, let's see if we can uh, wrap this up. We find three things that God owns in our text. First Chronicles chapter 29 and verse number 11. The first thing is very simply, we've already spoken about this. God owns the material universe. Everything in it. Everything. There's nothing that, that we can have, that we see, that is out there. There's nothing in existence that, is, that did not come into existence because he created it. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth, the Bible says, is thine. All. Everything. He owns the material universe. Everything. All. Number two. He owns all authority. It goes on to say, Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. It's his kingdom. When it talks about kingdom and ruling and reigning, he's the, he's the ultimate authority. All power and might is also his. He gives the rules. He reigns. There's a story in uh, 1 Kings chapter 21 where, uh, you remember the story how the Ahab, uh, he was there in his castle, and right next to him, Naboth had a vineyard, and uh, Ahab loved uh, gardening. He loved, you know, dink dinking around with uh, herbs and and spices and stuff that he would grow in a garden. And it was a perfect, oh, a perfect little garden area right next to the, to the palace. And it was Naboth's. Naboth owned this little spot of land, and so the king came to him and says, hey, I would love to have that. Matter of fact, I will pay you whatever, whatever it is you want, and I'm the king. I could really make it worthwhile for you to give me this spot of land. And it came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel, hard by the palace of Ahab, king of Syria, uh, Samaria. And Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house. And I will give it thee for a better vineyard than it. Or, if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. He says, Listen, I'll make it worth your while. I'm not just trying to take it from you. I want that vineyard. I'll pay you. I'll pay you anything you want. Give me that. Let's make this transaction. But notice what Naboth said. Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. Now we can go back to the Old Testament and take a look at what God commanded his children to do, but he, he, he uh, told it when, when they uh, got into the land, he says, the, uh, the land that I give to the tribe of Naphtali is theirs. They can't sell it. They can't get rid of it. It goes back to them. The land that I give to Dan is theirs. They can't sell it. They can't get rid of it. It's your land. You, it's, not, it's not yours to give. It's my land. And I'm telling you, I'm gifting this to you. And so Naboth said, King, I know you got the authority, and I know you want this land, but I can't sell it to you. I can't deal. You know why I can't deal? It's not mine. 
the Lord forbid it be. It's his. That's what he said. And since the Lord, this is the Lord's stuff, I don't have a dog in the race here. I, I cannot negotiate. You know why? It's not my land. Yeah, it's, it's for my people, but God said it's never going to come out of your, uh, your inheritance and your family. I can't do that. You know what he was saying? He was saying, listen, since the Lord is owner here, I, I can't negotiate. It's not my choice. It's my, not my decision. And you know what, believer? If God certainly owns you, owns everything about you, owns your future, owns your family, owns all things in the universe... If God is a creator and, and he's the one that, that owns all things, then there's some things you don't have to worry about. You, you don't have a choice on. You know why? They're, they're his. They're not yours. You don't, you don't get to decide on that. You don't get to decide on your life. Listen, if, if you've been saved by the blood of Christ, you were headed for hell, and Jesus rescued you from an eternal burning hell, saved you, that means you're a bond slave. That means somebody else owns you. That means uh, you can't make determination on your own because you are someone else's. And so you can't, you can't do that. So uh, there's three things in our text that we find that God owns. Number one, he owns the material universe. Number two, he owns all authority. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted. He reigns and he gives the rules. Number three. He owns all honor and shame, all reward and judgment. It's God's. He's the one that, that clearly, clearly has, and he's the only one that owns all honor and shame. Look at what it says in verse 12. Both riches and honor come of thee. This is what David says to the, to the king of kings. Here's the king of Israel looking up to God and saying, Riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all, and in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand is to make great and to give strength unto all. Folks, we are either exalted or put down by his determination. We are told, good boy, or you're not doing so good, by God, because he's the one that calls the shots. He, he, he has honor and shame within his prerogative to give unto his creation. 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. You know what? It's up to God to exalt. It's up to God to take down. And that's totally his. It's God who owns all things. It's within his scope and within his power to exalt and also to condemn. Now, if you're here and you've never been saved, you've never been born again, let me go ahead and warn you about something. You're going to get recalled. You're going to go back to the one who made you. You will have time to, to stand before the Creator and give, a, give account of your life. And if you're a sinner, we're all sinners. Not one of us that's not. Anybody here can uh, say that I've never sinned, I've never done anything wrong, uh, not if you're honest. And if you say that you've never sinned, you're a liar. <laughs> hey, we've all been transgressors. We are all in need of salvation. 
And listen, if you've never been saved, you've never had your sins forgiven, you will stand before this holy, righteous, almighty God and give account for your life. I'd hate to do that. I'd hate to be in that situation missing what he's offered to me today, and that's to be saved. You've got to get saved. You've got to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's the only way out. It's the only way for salvation. It's the only way for forgiveness. Not your good works, not your church membership, not getting baptized, not anything. It's only by the blood of Christ. He's the one that loved you, gave his life for you. The Bible says as many as received Jesus, as many as received him, to them give you power to become the sons of God. Someday you're standing before him and you will give account because he's the owner, because he's the creator. He reigns. So it's within his scope and his power to exalt or condemn. Understand, acknowledge, folks, you must acknowledge his position of owner, of creator, of owner of all things. You know what I'd like to do this morning, and I'd like to worship him again. I'd like to bow before him and acknowledge that. Worship is exclusively for the Lord. He owns it all. He alone deserves our worship. So we come to this time of invitation, and the invitation time is just that. We're inviting you to take steps of, of moving where God moves us, going where God go, uh, uh, encourages us to go. And today, it's, just ex it's exactly where, where David was when he prayed in our text. Look that, uh, at that text again in 1 Chronicles 29. Verse number 10, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. Let's bow before him. <coughs> Lord, I pray that you would 